So I'm going to begin uh, our message today. I'm going to go ahead and begin the sermon with the punchline, okay? I'm going to begin with the action step, uh, so to speak, and then I'll explain it from there. So starting today and over the next five weeks, we are going to have a membership renewal process for our church here at Crossroads. What that means is that for the next five weeks, we are going to ask everyone, everyone, who has previously gone through our membership process here at Crossroads and has become a member of our church, we're going to ask you to reaffirm and renew your membership here at Crossroads. Uh, We also, during this time, are going to invite and even encourage any one of you who considers Crossroads to be your church home to consider growing through the membership process and covenanting with us to be a member of our church. Now, if you're a guest with us today and you're like, what? Um, Like, there's still going to be plenty here from you. We're teaching from the Bible today. Um, But I will say there's going to be some bits here and there that pertain specifically to our congregation, but you are welcome to listen in on that. Um, And you may be asking, if you're a longtime member of Crossroads, you say, what in the world? Why are we doing this? This is the first time hearing of this. Why? Well, I hope to answer your questions uh, in today's sermon. We are currently studying the book of Nehemiah. And in today's passage, what we see is we see the people of God making a commitment to one another to honor God together as a community. And I believe that their act of faith serves as an outline for what I think could be a necessary step for our church family as we transition out of a very difficult time known as a pandemic, (laughs) and we transition into a new season as a church because we are transitioning into a new season as a church. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn in them to Nehemiah chapter 9. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and summarize what this whole series on Nehemiah, what we've covered so far. So I'm going to summarize eight chapters of the Old Testament for you right here. The temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem have now been rebuilt. Remember, the people of God were exiled because of their disobedience. They spent 100 years exiled away from the city of Jerusalem, away from sort of their home base as a culture, as a nation, as a people. And they were, they were exiled, and they were in exile, oppression, and shame for over 100 years. But now they've returned to the city. The temple has been rebuilt through the leadership of Nehemiah and through really the miraculous grace of God. They have rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem. And now they've moved back into the city. They're reestablishing their place in the city after being away for a century. They're reestablishing their culture. And then something amazing happens. We talked about this last week. Spiritual awakening falls on the people of God in in their city once again. Spiritual awakening happens. The people experience the power of God in a way that they had not experienced in generations. And so now, not only are they reestablishing their city and their culture, they're reestablishing their worship. They're saying that we're going to worship God together like this. And it's this really powerful moment in Israel's history. Well, then in chapter 9, Ezra, Nehemiah has kind of stepped out of leadership now. He was the organizer. He was the politician. Now he's handing it over to the pastor and the priest and the Bible teacher, Ezra. Ezra stands up, and in chapter 9, where we are today, Ezra stands up and he prays a public prayer. Have you guys ever heard those prayers, though, where somebody's praying to God, but they're also kind of praying to the people around them? Like, it's like a prayer, it's a vertical prayer, but there's also a message for the people in the room 
as it's being prayed. That's sort of what's going on with Ezra here. He's praying to God. He's, rem- he's thanking God for God's faithfulness. But as he prays it to the thousands and thousands of people who are gathered, they are hearing him recite back to them God's faithfulness to their people. And Ezra in chapter 9 tells the story of God's repeated faithfulness and grace and the people of Israel's repeated failure and rebellion, but God's grace despite all of it. So in chapter 9, if you've got it open, just kind of follow along with me, and you'll see that in verse 6, Ezra says, God, you made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. That's a powerful statement of worship. God, you are the creator of all things. Verse 7, he says, you chose our father Abraham from all the peoples, and you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants, meaning us, the promised land. Verse 9 Ezra says, you heard the cry of our fathers in Egypt, and you delivered them from slavery with signs and wonders. Verse 12, he says, you guided them in the wilderness with pillars of fire and cloud. Verse 13, he says, you gave them good statutes and commandments. You gave them a way to live as the people of God, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. Verse 15, he says, you gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry in the wilderness, and you gave them water from the rock when they were thirsty. Now, that alone is a story of God's faithfulness. We studied the book of Exodus several years ago, and it's just the story of God's repeated faithfulness. But then in verse 16, Ezra says, in spite of all of this, our ancestors acted arrogantly. (laughs) They became stubborn. They refused to listen to you, God, and they tried even to go back to Egypt. In verse 17, Ezra says, though, but God, you are a God of forgiveness, and you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them when they rebelled against you. Verse 18, even when they made for themselves a golden calf and worshiped it, you and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. And Ezra keeps going. He says, God, you continued to sustain our people in the wilderness even as we kept turning from you. You led us into the promised land. You multiplied our children and our descendants. You made us a great nation. You delivered on all the promises that you gave to us. Verse 26, but nevertheless, we were disobedient again. We ignored and threw out your commandments. We even killed your prophets, Ezra says. That's a pretty serious (laughs) serious sin, right? But Ezra says, but just like you said, as judgment for our disobedience, you gave us into the hands of our enemies. But then we prayed and we turned back to you, and you delivered us from our enemies. But then we rebelled again, and we were conquered again. Verse 30, but all the while, God, for many years, you bore with us, and you warned us, and you were gracious with us, and you called us back to yourself, but we didn't listen. Yet you still have been gracious and merciful. And Ezra closes his prayer. He says, God, we have been wicked. We have been disobedient. All the while, however, you have been gracious and slow to anger. And now here we are back in the land you promised us. We've turned back to you after years of rebellion and you have delivered us again. You've done it again. Now that's a story of God's faithfulness. I mean, like God created all things and chose these people to bless the world through them. And at every turn, they have rebelled against God. But God has always been gracious to call them back and call them back and call them back. And every time they turn back to him, he, he, he forgives them, he redeems them, he delivers them, and he brings them back into the places that he promised them. That's a story of God's faithfulness. And all the people in that, uh, gathered that day when they heard that, 
they would have, that would have been cause for celebration. And in chapter 12, we actually see that they th throw a party. We'll get there. But how do you respond to that kind of faithfulness? How do you respond to generations of God's grace and mercy? Well, here's how the people of Israel responded. This is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. Because of all of this, they say, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then all the way down in verse, chapter 10, verse 28, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple, the servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, meaning knowledge and understanding of this great and faithful God, we all join together with the brothers, their nobles, and we enter into a curse and an oath, also known as a covenant, to walk in God's law that was given to, by Moses, the servant of God, and we, we commit to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. So how do you respond to generations of God's faithfulness? Well, they responded, they said, because of generations of God's faithfulness. We're making a firm covenant in writing. And chapter 10 goes on to explain the details of this covenant. They say, we commit to obey the laws of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and so forth. They say, we will not marry people from other lands. And you're like, what in the world is that? Well, in the past, the people of God, they married people who didn't, from other lands that did not share their faith and their commitment to God as Lord, and that caused them to lose their spiritual distinctiveness. So they said, we'll not, we're not going to marry people from other lands. They said, we will honor the Sabbath. We will entrust our work to God. We will work six days a week, but we will entrust the seventh day to God and trust that he will provide for us. We will forgive debts every seventh year and let the crops rest every seventh year, meaning they will provide debt relief to the poor every seventh year. So they are putting laws in place to, to protect them from exploiting the poor. And they say, we will let the land rest every seventh year. They are putting laws in place to protect themselves from exploiting the land as well. So they put laws in place to protect themselves from exploiting the poor and God's creation. They say, we will give generously to the house of God. We will celebrate, we will honor the holy feast, holidays and such that act as ways of remembering God's faithfulness. They said, we will dedicate our children to the Lord and into the community of faith. This is all in chapter 10, by the way. I'm summarizing for you. We, and they said, we commit to a life of sacrifice and confession of sin. We will make sacrifices. And they said, we will give the first fruits of all we have to the house of God. This is the principle of the tithe. The first 10% of everything we earn, they say, is the Lord's and it goes to him. And then they conclude by committing, they say, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. And then in chapter 12, in chapter 11, 10% of the people commit to moving back into the city. They say, we'll leave the suburbs, we'll go into the city for the sake of you know, Jerusalem. And then in chapter 12, they have a huge ceremony to dedicate the wall. They sign this covenant, they gather tithes, they make sacrifices, they sing, and then they throw a massive party to celebrate God's favor and their commitment. And so a few things about this covenant and about this commitment that they make that I think are important for us to pay attention to. The first is this. Their commitment was a response to the grace and the faithfulness of God. I think this is a very crucial thing that we have to understand about covenants and commitments in the Scripture, and particularly with the people of Israel right here. They don't make a promise 
as a way of negotiating with God for blessings or favor. That this is not, God, we are going to make a promise to do all these things, and in return, we expect you to bless us, forgive us, save us, make us a great nation. They're saying, no, God, you have blessed us, saved us, forgiven us, and made us a great nation. Therefore, we covenant to honor you. The order of that is extremely important. They are not doing this to receive God's salvation. They are doing this as a response to God's salvation. Listen, I know we've all had the situation. Most of us have been here at some point in our life where we're in trouble and we start to make deals with God. Anybody been there? Step, remember when you're in elementary school, high school, you step into a test that you're not prepared for? What's the prayer we all pray? God, if you just get me out of this, I will be a missionary. Like, I will serve you forever <laughs> to wherever you want me to go. I will do what, I will serve you for the rest of my life. If you give me this promotion, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Or, you know, many of you, if you've ever been in the back of a cop car or you've ever been in a situation, you're like, I've got to get out of this before my parents find out or before it gets really bad or whatever. You say, God, I will obey you. I will do whatever it takes if you will get me out of this right now. Anybody ever prayed some form of that prayer in your life? God, I, or we pray, God, I will obey you in this area today if you promise to reward me for it later. This is when we say, God, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be financially generous to the poor, but I expect you to, uh, to triple my money for doing it. No. We're generous to the poor because God has been generous to us. Right? See, it's important to understand that this is not what the people of Israel are doing right here. They're not making a deal with God. Ezra spends his entire prayer, his entire sermon, outlining all the ways God has already been faithful to them through the years. And they respond. They don't say, God, we want you to be, continue being faithful, so we're making a covenant with you. They say, no. They say, because of all of this, we are making a covenant with you. See, they commit together to obey God as a response to God's blessings, not as a way of seeking God's blessings. So the people of Israel, they gather together and they say, God has already done something extraordinary for us. And what they're doing is they're realizing God's favor on them. And they're saying, we want to honor God as a response to the favor he has shown us. So we're committing together as a community to obey him as a community. They say, we've spent generations in exile and we just got, we just got back into the city. We took God's commands for granted. We took his grace and his favor for granted all these years. We took his leaders for granted. We took our land for granted. We did not pay attention to God's kindness, and it led to our misery. They say, we are the ones that separated ourselves from the blessings of God. God was always faithful, but we are the ones that chose to rebel, and we don't want to go back to that. We want to live with a holy commitment that honors and blesses God and shows the world that there's a better way to do relationships, there's a better way to do business, there's a better way to worship. And they say, we want to be a light to the nations so that everyone will know that our God is great. Because of these things, we're covenanting together to obey God. They commit to God because God has been kind to them, not because they're trying to convince God to be kind to them. I believe that it is good and right to make commitments in our lives. I believe it is good and right to make commitments to God. I believe it's good and right to make commitments to God as a community. Church membership, for example. But you need to know going in, anytime you make a, a commitment to God, 
that the commitment or even the honoring of the commitment does not make you nearer or more dear to God. You make the commitment as a response, as a way of honoring a God who has already accepted you and has already been faithful to you. Chapter 9 records all of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. In chapter 10s, they say, because of this, we will make a covenant. And they're serious about it. They come together, they draft a document, and they say, this is what God has done, therefore this is how we're going to live. Second thing we see about their commitment is that it was serious. Their commitment was serious. It's important to see that they made a commitment. Uh, it's important to see that the commitment that they made, the covenant that they drafted and signed, it wasn't trivial. It was actually substantial. It covered every area of their lives, from their relationships, to their finances, to their work, and to their worship. They said, we are serious about honoring God, and our commitment is serious. It reminds me of King David, who said, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord my God, that which costs me nothing. They said, we're going to honor God, and we're not going to honor God in such a way that's cheap. We're going to honor God in such a way that it costs us something that's serious. J.I. Packer, the great um, English theologian, said, For members of an economically depressed community, as the, one, as the people of Israel were at this time, for them to forego marrying foreign money and trading seven days a week, for them to work a social system that had the rich, in effect, giving substantially to the poor every seven years, and for them to commit to tithe everything regularly to the temple was audacious, costly, and self-denying. But what it expressed in positive terms was a resolve to obey God at all costs, with no half measures, and to trust Him totally. This was a community that was serious about honoring, worshiping, and serving God. They submitted every aspect of their lives to God in this commitment. The expectations of what it meant to be a member of their community at that time, the expectations were high. They were not low. Their commitment was serious. The third thing we see, however, and this is connected to the fact that it was serious, is that the commit their commitment was to do what God had already commanded. They said in verse 29, chapter 10, verse 29, we enter into a covenant to walk in God's law that was given by Moses. In other words, the people are simply committing to what God has already told them not to do, or already told them to do. Obey the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath, give generously, observe holy days, commit your children to the Lord. None of these things were ever actually negotiable for the people of God. These were never up for debate. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like they, they got to pick and choose these things. They, these were already commanded by God to the people of God. So what I want you to see is that they, this is not legalism. They're not putting together some covenant, some legalistic covenant that says, or some new law. They're not heaping additional burdens onto the people of God like the Pharisees did that Jesus called them out. They're saying, God has already commanded us to do these things. We've just been rebelling for the last several generations. We're going to commit ourselves to doing what God has already commanded us. You see, they're not trying to trick anyone into signing some weird user agreement to be a part of their community. They are simply honoring what God has already commanded their community to be. Third thing I want you to see is that their, or their fourth thing I want you to see is that their commitment was to worship God together as a community. Chapter 10, verse 28, 29, it says, The rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple, the servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. What they're saying is everyone who has said, 
I'm walking in the way of God, not in the way of the people, uh, way of the other nations. I'm walking in the way of the God, uh, of, the, of the one true God. Everyone who has separated themselves and said, I am walking in the ways and in the commands of God. All of them, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, we all, they're saying, join with brothers, sisters, and nobles and enter into a covenant. This was not an individual thing. This was a community coming together. This was 50,000 individuals coming together and saying that we're not going to be individuals. We're going to be a community that pursues God together. Everyone joins together in making a covenant together. In effect, everyone says, I want you to hold me accountable. And the community says, we want you to hold us accountable. Together, we will honor God together. I think this is very important for us to recognize this because I've been in multiple, I've pastored in multiple churches. And anytime you talk about church membership, and anytime you talk about covenants, and anytime you talk about committing to a local congregation of people, people will stand up and they'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you telling me to do? All throughout the scriptures, the church is a community of people that gather together under the leadership of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they live together as a community. Paul says that we are one body, an arm and a leg are great, but they cannot function on their own. They need the rest of the body to do their job. A body is great, but a body without an arm or a leg can't function fully as God intended it. We are the body. And also, in the, people will say, well, I'm a member of the universe. I'm a member of the big C church. I don't, I don't have to be a member of a local church. Well, if you do a study of the New Testament, the word church is used, ecclesia, is used, I don't know, about 250, 270 times. And in less than a handful of times does it refer to the universal church. The New Testament, when it talks about the church, it's almost always referring to a local congregation of people within a city that worship God together, and they make commitments to one another to live out the commands of God together. But I think we, it's important for us to recognize this because we live in a radically individualized culture that says everything can be customized to our exact specifications, so we have more options in every conceivable area than any previous culture in human history, don't we? Like I was just looking the other day, I wanted a pair of shoes on Nike.com. I don't even have to buy the colors they show me anymore. I can make my own colors. How cool is that? But what happens is our, we've been kind of wired to believe that everything should be done and can be done, even our faith, completely within ourselves and within the individual. And we don't think we need anyone else. And it's, this is great when it comes to shoes and, you know, curating our playlists, our individual playlists on Spotify. But Jesus never understood that the church would be something we would do on our own. Tom T. Hall, he was a great country folk singer-songwriter. He died last week. But he characterizes this impulse in a 1972 song called Me and Jesus. He says, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. You know, I actually, I understand the impulse, right? I understand the me and Jesus impulse. Because there is something, there's something beautiful and commendable about those parts of our relationship with God that are very personal. I have a personal relationship with God. There are moments in prayer that I have that are just me and the Lord, and those times are so intimate and so sweet, and I would not trade them for anything in the world. But often what we do is we go, it's just me and Jesus, and we take that impulse too far, and we begin to think that we don't need other people to grow. 
we, don't th- we begin to think we don't need other people to support us. We begin to think that we don't need other people to correct us because it's just us and Jesus. Or more sadly, often we forget when it's just us, when we do it solo, we forget that others can actually benefit from the gifts and the personalities that God has given us for the sake of blessing others. You see, God made you to be a gift for a community. He did not create you to exist in isolation. He created you to exist in a community. He gave you gifts, strengths, talents. He gave you a personality. He gave you a desire for hospitality, desire for friendship, so that you could play those things out in his community. And furthermore, God made community to be a gift for you. Everyone in here, God made you to be a gift to his church. And everyone in here, God made the church to be a gift for you. Is the church perfect? No, of course not, but neither are you. We need the church and the church needs you. You need the church and the church needs you. You see, if we only commit to following Jesus as an individual, we will forfeit the blessings of other people in our lives and we will neglect to serve others as God has called us to do. The great Tony Evans says this, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're right. They're right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. Tony Evans says, but you, don't, you also don't have to go home to be married. But if you stay away long enough, your relationship will be affected. You see, nowhere in the Bible is the concept of doing faith or spirituality alone a proposed possibility. The Old Testament saints, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles all agree that we need the community of faith to support us, to love us, to strengthen us, and even at times correct us. And the church, the community of faith, needs you to provide love and support and strength and at times even correction to others. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 says we are a body. So this is what the people of Israel did in Nehemiah's time. As a response to God's grace and mercy, they covenanted together in writing to take God's commands seriously and to worship and honor God as a community. Now, what hath Brooklyn to do with Jerusalem? (laughs) Okay, that's what they did then, you know, 2,500 years ago. What about us today? I said earlier that Crossroads is about to begin a season of membership renewal, and some of you have been waiting for me to explain this. And we're entering into a season where we're encouraging those of you who have never considered official membership at Crossroads to consider it. So let's talk about that right now. As I've been reading for the last few months, I've been reading Nehemiah for several months now, um, as I've been studying and preparing for this. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this covenant that the people made in the book of Nehemiah. And I keep thinking about how something like this would be useful and beneficial for our community. You see, the people of Israel, they made this commitment after a long and difficult season a season where they had been scattered and isolated, a season where they had been traumatized, a season where they were hurting, a season where they had lost quite a bit. But as they came back together, they chose to recommit to one another because of the faithfulness of God throughout that season. And likewise, we're coming off of a very long and difficult season. We've been scattered, effectively, for 18 months. We've experienced trauma and loss, and many people in our congregation are hurting. And we're all trying to, we're reeling, trying to figure out what does life look like after a pandemic. But here's what I want us all to recognize. 
Hasn't God been faithful? God has been faithful through it all. We're still here. We have a place to gather. We have a place to meet. Our church still exists. You guys, I wish you guys knew how many pastors I knew who closed the doors of their churches permanently in the last year and a half. It is God's grace that we are still standing. Yeah. God has been faithful. Some of you have lost more than I could ever imagine in the last few months, and you're still here in the room today, lifting up praise to God. God has been faithful. And we want to honor him for his faithfulness. And I think it would be beneficial for us to recommit to one another as we transition from a pandemic into a new season as a church. And I believe this can be a powerful, symbolic gesture of unity for us and a commitment to one another after a hard season. So that's a theological reason for why we are doing this. There's also a practical reason. You guys probably figured that. Our church membership roster is currently a mess. Let me explain. I became the pastor of Crossroads in June of 2015. And when I arrived, and in the last six years since, I have been unable to locate physical or digital records of our church membership role from any time prior to June 2015. As a result, there are many longtime members of Crossroads, many of you in this room who went through a membership process 10 years ago or whenever, and we have no record of it. Our policies, our bylaws require that we have record of that for you to be an official member. As a result, so uh, what that means is that we have many, anybody who was, became a member of Crossroads prior to June 2015, we have no re official record of your membership status. Therefore, for all practical purposes, we do not have a meaningful church membership roster. Only those who have gone through our membership process since the fall of 2015 are technically considered members of our church by the law. The reason this poses a practical problem for us is this. One of our big dreams as a church in the next few years is for us to purchase a permanent facility. And our bylaws and policies and the rules surrounding 501c3s require a member vote to make large purchases. And we're expecting it to be in the multi-million dollar range. I mean, real estate in Brooklyn is not cheap. I believe a four, five, six million dollar purchase uh, is considered a large purchase. And so what that means is, in the last six years, we've been using effectively an honor system. Are you a member of our church? You know, as you vote on deacon affirmations and pastoral hires. But listen, a, a potential vote on a multi-million dollar purchase requires us to follow our policies to the letter if we want it to, to stick legally. And our current outdated and incomplete membership roster presents a number of uh, logistical and legal problems for us were that to arise. So, Listen, this is an act of faith. I believe that God is going to provide us a facility. Does anybody believe that? We've been praying for this for a long time. So this is an act of faith for us to say, we believe, God, that you're going to answer the prayers we've been praying for quite some time now. But as an, in order for us to be prepared for God to answer our prayer, we've got to get our house in order. If God puts a facility in our lap sometime in the near future, we want to be legally and logistically prepared to act on it and be prepared to move on it. So we need to get an accurate record of who is a part of our membership and who is not part of our church officially. So here's how this is going to happen. So there's a theological reason, there's a practical reason. Here's how this is going to happen. If you are a current member of Crossroads, 
We, if you went through a membership process at any point in your time here at Crossroads, it could have been, you know, in 1999. If you went through that process, it could have been a year ago. If you've gone through a process to become a member of Crossroads, we're simply asking you to reaffirm and renew your membership with Crossroads so that we, and give us a record of that. If you have never become a member of Crossroads, but you consider Crossroads to be your home, church home, we're, we're encouraging you, please take, uh, consider taking steps to become a church member here at our church. And what that looks like is if you are renewing your membership, you just simply reaffirm. As you leave today, if you're in the room, you're going to get a card that's got a scan code, a QR code. If it, it says, if you, I want to reaffirm my membership at Crossroads. I've previously been a member. You scan that. There's going to be a form that comes up. It's a simple, I'm reaffirming my membership statement. You click that, and you are good to go. If you have never become a member of Crossroads, you'll pull up the, on the right side of the form. It'll, they'll have a QR code. You scan that and say, I would, like to become, I would like to seek membership at Crossroads. What that will then require is that you get a lengthier form that shares how you came to know Christ, um, how you came to find out about Crossroads, any questions you have about our theology, our statement of beliefs, our vision, our values, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, you fill that form out. And what you will then do is then we will schedule you to attend the next Crossroads 101 class, which is our membership class. And the next one is September, Sunday, September 26th at 7 p.m. You will attend that class. We will have a conversation with you to confirm that you're a follower of Jesus, that you've been baptized, that you are affirming membership within our church, and then you will be presented to the church as a member. So we're going to offer this for the next five weeks. And on October 3rd, we're all going to covenant together and say, Who's, who's with us? And we're going to reaffirm our membership, and we're going to move forward into the future that God has for our church, which I believe also includes purchasing a facility. Oh, now to be clear, everyone is welcome at Crossroads, whether you are a member or not. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you are welcome to attend our church. You are welcome to attend any of our ministries, any of our groups. You do not have to be a member to come into this room on Sunday or to come to a group. But as we read in Nehemiah chapter, 9, Nehemiah chapter 9 through 12, there is a biblical pattern of the people of God committing together in a local community with people who share their faith and committing to honoring God together as a community. And I'm encouraging you, if you don't have a church home, if you have a church home and you're just visiting with us today, awesome. Tell your pastor that you, you reaffirm your commitment to your church. But if you're looking for a church home, I'm encouraging you to, to covenant and commit to us as a church, and we will covenant and we will commit to you as your church. Now, I'm going to read for you our membership covenant. That's how we're going to close this out. I know it's a little longer than normal, our sermon, okay? It'll be short next week. Kyle's preaching, all right? But as I read our membership covenant in a moment, I want you to notice that there is a similar pattern in our membership covenant that there is in Nehemiah chapter 10. First, this is a response to God's faithfulness. You are not saved or accepted by God because you join a church. Joining our church is not a way of getting forgiveness. You get forgiveness by coming to the blood of Christ on the cross and believing that he, he rose from the dead and that Christ will forgive you of your sins. That's how you receive forgiveness. You're not going to get near to God by signing a membership covenant of Crossroads Christian Church. You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. But because of all of this, you commit to a local church as a way of entering into a community that you believe can support you as you seek to honor Christ faithfully. Second thing, our membership covenant outlines pretty serious commitments. 
It's serious. We believe the church should be held to a high standard. And we have high expectations for what Crossroads should be, and we have high expectations for the type of people we want you and desire for you to become. Third, all of these commitments are biblical to the best of our understanding. You've already been commanded by God to do these things. In our membership covenant, we don't tell you how to vote. We don't tell you what clothes to wear. Like, there's not a uniform. There's not a Crossroads uniform, okay? We outline what we believe are characteristics that any Christian should strive for. Whether you join our church or whether you join some other church, we believe that these things are something any Christian should do. And finally, our membership covenant invites you to obey these commandments with us, along with us, rather than trying to do it alone. Membership is not, it, it, membership is not asking you, I don't think that church membership is asking you to do it, really anything out of the ordinary in the Christian life. It's simply asking you to live the ordinary Christian life with others. So allow this, by, by becoming a church, a, a member of a church, what you're doing is you're saying, I want this church, these people, to hold me accountable to live out the life that I desire to live. And by us receiving you as a member, we're saying we are welcoming you into our community to help us live out what we believe God has called us to do. So let me read our membership covenant with us. It goes like this. I believe in the mission of the local church, and specifically the mission of Crossroads. I desire to unite and be a member of the Crossroads Christian Church family. I recognize that church refers to people and that the local church does nothing outside of what its members do. Therefore, as a member, I am ready to take ownership in the ministry of Crossroads. I have accepted the free gift of grace from Jesus and have been baptized into him. Now, because of all of this, I've accepted the free gift of Jesus and have been baptized into him. Now, as a response, I pledge to do the following as a member of Crossroads. I will promote and encourage community. Anybody have a problem with that? It's a good thing, right? It's a biblical command. By acting in love toward other members and building loving relationships, by protecting the unity of the church and refusing to gossip, by following the biblical method of conflict resolution, parenthesis, see Matthew 18. I will own the mission of the church by finding an area to serve and give back through proportionate giving, striving, not, we're not demanding, but asking you to strive toward the biblical standard of tithing. I, commit, I will own the mission of the church by praying for the church and its mission. I will own the mission of the church by being a light in the world around me, by inviting those who do not know Christ and those without a church home to join me in the journey. I will continue to grow spiritually by attending worship regularly, by being involved in specific activities that will strengthen and grow my relationship with Christ, by striving to make the love the primary motivation for all I do. Now listen to this. Knowing in advance that I am unable to do the above perfectly, but also knowing that God deserves my best, I commit to uphold this covenant for God's sake and for the sake of his kingdom. I hope you see that this membership covenant is not a gotcha statement. It's covered with grace, but it's an opportunity for you to say, I want to commit to this group of people to become the person that I believe God is calling me to be and has commanded me to be. Now, last thing. If you've never become a Christian, I'm sorry, you, you shouldn't be thinking about church membership right now. What you need to be thinking about is becoming a follower of Jesus. We want, before you become a member of our church, what we want more, more than anything for your life is for you to experience the grace of Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, 
He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is what we really want for all of your lives. And once you've made that commitment, we invite you to join us as a faith family. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for this church community. God, thank you that there are people in this city that believe the same things we do, that have a desire to follow Christ just like we do, that desire to honor God, that believe that your tomb is empty and that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords because sometimes being a Christian can feel so lonely in this city. But God, thank you that there is a room full of people who can stand in agreement and say Jesus is Lord. And so God, I pray for anyone who's looking for a place to be encouraged I pray that they would consider becoming a part of our community and entering into church membership with us. God, church membership is a gift that you've given us so that we can experience more of you and so that we can be sharpened by the people around us. And so we thank you for the gift of the church. And God, I commit personally to serve your church for the sake of your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.